Do the words performance review put a knot in the pit of your stomach? No one likes performance reviews, whether giving them or receiving them. And when done poorly, they typically cause more harm than good. So how do you get it right? My next guest, Sharon Armstrong, will tell you how. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Sharon Armstrong has facilitated training, completed HR projects, and provided career transitioning services for a wide variety of clients in the profit and nonprofit sectors for more than 20 years. As the founder, of Sharon Armstrong and Associates. She's consulted with many large corporations and small businesses. Besides earning her bachelor's degree from the University of Southern Maine and her master's degree in in counseling from George Washington University, Sharon is also a certified professional in human resources, a SHRM certified professional, and a certified career management fellow. In addition, she's an author, and she's co-authored several books, most notably, Stress-Free Performance Appraisals, Turn Your Most Painful Management Duty into a Powerful Motivational Tool, another book called The Essential HR Handbook, a quick and handy reference for any manager or HR professional, and last but not least, The Essential Performance Review Handbook. How's that? everything you need to know in one book. That's an impressive list and why I'm so delighted to have her here with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential now, Sharon. Thank you, Hannah. I am happy to be here with you. And I like performance appraisals. I'm one of the ones that do like them. So I'm happy to be here to talk about that. Well, I just can't wait to dive in. And I'm so curious what prompted you, what inspired you to write the Essential Performance Review Handbook? Well, I feel that this powerful business tool, which is what I think performance appraisals can be, is important, and it should be implemented effectively. So it's all around communication in the workplace about work initiatives and progress towards goals. And since I'd been in charge of the process for a number of years when I was in-house HR, I saw where it could go very well, and I also saw where it could, you know, crash and burn. So when I had the opportunity to really delve into it and talk about best practices, I jumped at it. Terrific. I bet you've got some awesome war stories, because especially the crash and burn <laughs> kind. Exactly how would you define a performance appraisal? Well, I feel it really is one of the most important responsibilities of a manager. I think it's also an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. That Thinking that way can really derail it, I believe. It should be just a culmination of all those many discussions that managers have with their employees during that entire performance period. 
you know, back in the 40s, Peter Drucker talked about it being a participative process where a manager and an employee would sit down, they'd plan out what should happen during the year, and uh, at the end they'd look back. And, you know, that was in the 1940s, and I'm not even sure that's happening now. We're still struggling. So in that, with that in mind, I hope it's an objective way of really determining the quality of an employee's performance in accordance with whatever those early goal-setting sessions were. Beyond that, I think it can be a really critical tool for clarifying present expectations, for setting new expectations, and developing new responsibilities. But there's universally hated. I mean, I saw stats this morning that like 90% of managers don't like them. They don't. (laughs) So we've got to change that. You and I can do that. I will tell you that it is clear that many people have had bad experiences. Uh, When I was doing my book, I actually found a study in the U.K. that stated that one in every eight managers would rather visit the dentist than carry out a performance appraisal. So, you know, it has a very bad rap. I heard some very disturbing uh, definitions of the process when I was doing my books, and one was it's a process that the top tell the middle to do to the bottom horrible, right? The other one, which always makes me laugh, is uh, this is like fruitcake. You get it once a year and no one wants it. (laughs) I will admit that it isn't always easy or fun, but I will also say that every performance appraisal that fails to motivate or worse is a lost opportunity for every employer and employee. Uh, A poorly handled one is going to decrease productivity. It's going to lower morale. Uh, And I will tell you that in my research, I found lots of companies that are thriving as a result of a good process. But to get a good process, you need to really support it. You need to train those on both sides of the desk. It doesn't just automatically happen. Agreed, agreed. So how do we make this more stress-free for everyone involved? Well, I think if you want the secret to a stress-free performance appraisal, You initially think of it as an ongoing process. It should be that ongoing workplace conversation going on in all of our offices about performance and about progress. And both sides of the desk should be responsible for those conversations. I think so often we forget the employee in this process. That's a definitely fair review of that. I mean, too often people feel that their performance review is more about what their supervisor remembered them doing last week. So it's uh, last in, first out, or trying to squeeze the justification for their raise into a predetermined budget. And that just defeats the whole purpose of all of this, doesn't it? It sure does. In fact, one of the best practices is kind of divorce the conversation from the pay increase as often as you can, or at least in that meeting. You really want to focus for the employee on their professional development. And if it's a manager who feels really committed to their employee and to the mission of the organization, if they work towards creating that environment and that relationship, it really can make a huge difference. For sure. But, you know, it wasn't too long ago, there were some headlines that Accenture, a really huge consulting firm, decided to eliminate performance appraisals. What do you think of that? Well, that was disturbing to hear that. 
although I don't want to universally say everyone should have it, I think companies need to determine what they want it to do and then design and implement it to do that. But I think it's all well and good not to have one if you're positive that your managers are talking to employees on a regular basis. It's often a process to make sure that is actually happening. I'll be honest, I think there are a lot of good and important benefits for companies if they decide to do it. Um, It helps you communicate organizational goals. It provides management with some decision-making information. It can be and should be that objective basis for raises and promotions and training and other personnel actions. It can build stronger working relationships. It can improve overall organizational productivity if it's done right. Now, I know that's a big if, but to throw it out without making sure that you have that foundation of communication between managers and employees in place, I think it's uh, rather silly to do that. I agree with you. You know, the thing is, when you get past the headline of Accenture eliminating performance reviews, they did say that they were going to replace it with more timely feedback. Because one of my biggest frustrations, if I have my legal hat on for a second, is when people would complain about their performance reviews because too often managers treated it like dumping a Pearl Harbor file on them. They would save up all these little mini grievances or problems they had during the year and then dump it on them at at the end of the year as a performance review where they didn't have the opportunity to explain what happened six months ago that maybe the manager misperceived or misunderstood or didn't have enough information to really evaluate. So it's automatically a negative strike. So I agree that more timely feedback is just a better mechanism all the way around for managing expectations. So employees want to do good. You know, they're not there like, how am I going to piss my boss off today? They want to do the right Right. thing. But it's a two-way communication, and too often that doesn't happen. So you mentioned some of the benefits of continuing the practice. Are there any others? There are a lot, and let me go over ones for the employee and for the supervisor. But before I do, you've said something really important that I, I want to stress. Part of the training when teaching supervisors how to conduct fair and effective performance appraisals is never say anything that's going to be a surprise to an employee. That's a real gotcha moment that no one should be a part of on either side of the desk. And I think when you peel back what Accenture has said, we're really saying the same thing. We're saying have these ongoing conversations. The performance appraisal, again, is just that culmination of all those conversations. No one has ever suggested not having ongoing conversations. That's what's at the base of any good performance appraisal. So back to the other benefits. I think for an employee, they find out how they're doing. It provides for them some recognition for their accomplishments. It allows for that two-way communication on goals and performance. Uh, It encourages employees taking responsibility for their performance and progress. It helps them set goals and direct their efforts. And if done right, there's a piece of it that will also provide opportunity for career development and improvement. So that's a lot of benefits that every employee is entitled to. Let's look at the supervisor for a minute. Their benefits are many as well through a good system. It helps them build management skills. It helps them develop and build rapport, or improve rapport, I should say, with their employees. It helps them identify and reward some high performers. Uh, It helps them identify performers that might need improvement through coaching or training. 
it help them improve that individual productivity, and then to look at the group as a whole and discover, you know, what are some training needs I can provide for everyone so that we can all be a little better in terms of our professional development. And, and these are just a few. I mean, we could go on and on on the benefits, but I think there are too many to ignore. Agreed. It's a real important leadership skill regardless of what level in the organization that you're at. So having identified all of these benefits and realizing that even though Accenture may be eliminating annual performance reviews, it's really a series of mini opportunities for feedback. So they're all like mini performance reviews. Now, how do you get it right? What steps should a manager take to make sure they're doing it right? Excellent question. I think there are five components of a good performance appraisal meeting. The first is planning and preparation on the part of that supervisor. And that's going to involve everything from familiarizing themselves with a form, if they use a form of any type, and ratings, if they use that, to think about the goals that each employee has been working on, to collect objective information to be able to share with the employee, and then think about the meeting you're going to have with the employee Before you have it, fill out that form privately or plan your discussion in detail. The thing that makes a performance appraisal really credible in my mind is to fill it with lots of specific examples, and then you'll be ready. So that's the first step. The second step is to start the meeting in a positive way. You know, do a warm-up or set the tone, outline what you want to cover, uh, clearly explain the purpose and the importance of the meeting, Allow the employee time to read if you have, in fact, prepared some notes ahead of time, and then encourage the employee to participate in the discussion. So that's the second part. The third part is the discussion itself. So you want to talk about the purpose of the position they hold, the importance of it. You want to go over ratings. You want to start with positives. As a supervisor, during that meeting, you want to ask a lot of open-ended questions to draw them in. I always say don't ask a question that can be answered with a yes, a no, or a grunt. You know, really ask people questions to engage them. But discuss areas where performance has fallen short if you've discussed it before on a timely basis when it actually happened. One of the most important things that a manager can do during the discussion is to I think the saying is um, use your ears twice as much as you use your mouth, right? right? Listen carefully to what's being said. Be receptive. Get the employee talking about their career and their work. And lastly, work for understanding, not necessarily for agreement. That's number three. Number four is closing the meeting. Summarize what was discussed. But you know what? The manager doesn't have to do that. I ask the employee to do that to make sure that they heard exactly what you meant. Then you settle on a plan for a future, you write some goals together, you offer your genuine help, and you close on a note of thanks for that employee for not only what they've contributed during that recent time frame, since your last meeting, or for participating in the meeting or both. And last, after that meeting, the supervisor has responsibilities for follow-up. Follow-up on any commitment you've made, Review your notes and evaluate yourself as a supervisor. How did that go? And then you begin observations for that next performance discussion. I really like this whole idea of follow-up because that makes this whole process forward-looking, not just 
looking in the rearview mirror as to what happened, but about what it means for the future and improvement, not just for the employee, but also for the satisfaction of their work and the contribution to the company as a whole. Well, I love that, Hannah, and I'll tell you why. I have a colleague who, like me, had done training on this topic for years, and even though this isn't the right decade for calling it this, but he thought of performance appraisals as a RAP session, R-A-P, where you would (laughs) review the past, you'd analyze the present, and you'd plan the future. And what I loved that he said, and I always tried to do that, is spend much more time planning the future, looking ahead. You know, you don't want to look back too much. That It's past. Let's learn from that, move ahead, acknowledge what went well, make redirections on what could have gone better, and then look forward as to what's coming down the pike and how this particular employee is going to use their, value, their uh, gifts, their competencies to add value to your team. Absolutely. It's about hope and improvement, not some soul-crushing experience, which it often is. Right. You know, <laughs> right. I have to ask you, is, uh, you know, you covered a lot of ground here in terms of the components of a good performance review. Now, are these huh? identified in your Essential Performance Review Handbook? Well, I've kind of uh, gleaned them. I've kind of gotten them from lots of different uh, talks that I've given and input from people, but most of the things are in there, yes. Yeah, because that would be just a great reference tool for a manager to have on their shelf because it's, you know, listening to this interview right now, everybody can nod their heads and go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. But then when they're crushed with a deadline because the reviews have to be done and they have to get sent to HR and whatever, it's easy for it to get lost in the shuffle. So it's nice to have a, a reference tool that you can look at in a pinch. Now, I'd also like to explore with you, how do goals fit into this whole process? Well, I think goals are critical to this. Um, There's that saying, I hope I get it right, uh, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. So we don't want to run our businesses that way. We want to have goals for each employee so they know when they come in that they have something to do that's going to help push that mission of that department and that organization. So goals are critical to that. It helps you establish direction for your work. That goes back to Peter Drucker. You identify results. You improve teamwork through good goal setting because you all have this common sense of purpose. You heighten performance levels, I think, by setting targets to be achieved. Excellent. Everybody wants to be part of something bigger than themselves, and so knowing how their role is important and contributes to the bigger cause is important. You hear that all the time when it comes to trying to encourage and inspire more employee engagement. This is a great tool for doing that. Well, thank you. I wanted to mention also that on my website, I have a couple of free reports on performance appraisals. I have a dozen performance appraisal best practices, and I have a free report called the Benefits of Performance Appraisals. I also have the components of the performance process and review, so that might get close to those five steps. Excellent. Can you share that URL with us? Happy to do that. It is www.theessentialhrhandbook.com. Dot com. That's www.theessentialhrhandbook, just like the title of the book. And when you go to my website, up at the top banner, there'll be um, wording that says free reports. Just click on that, and um, it's a PDF you can download. Free reports. I love it. I love it. 
Now, I can't help but put on my lawyer hat every once in a while. And in your experience in HR, you know that regardless of how careful a supervisor is in doing a performance review, there are going to be some employees who claim they've been treated unfairly. How can an employer avoid those kinds of claims? Well, unfortunately, you're absolutely right. It can happen, and people are litigious. So I think uh, employers want to make sure that they've trained in managers to do this in a safe and effective way. There are ways to avoid claims of unfair treatment. Make sure you avoid unclear communications. Uh, make sure you avoid uh, lack of concrete, specific goals. Make sure that you avoid improper or lack of record-keeping. One area that gets a lot of managers in trouble is inaccurate or exaggerated performance ratings. I have a couple of horror stories around that. Um, lack of follow-up, we mentioned that earlier. That's a huge problem that you want to avoid. I think overall, just don't promise anything that you can't deliver. And understand that the documentation of a performance discussion could be among the first things to be reviewed during a legal investigation. So what you say on a performance form may have to undergo a court test at some point. Funny thing about that, in business terms, it's just another document, it's a form, but in my world, it's called evidence. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. So would you say that inaccurate or exaggerated performance ratings are the biggest mistake that managers make? Well, you know, I had a very real horror story around that one. I was working for an organization once, and they had to do a reduction of force. So the um, person in charge, I'll try to protect the guilty here, came to HR and said, Sharon, pull all the performance appraisals of these people who are on the list to be let go because they allegedly are not doing their job. You probably see where this is going. When I pulled the performance appraisals, they were all fabulous, all superlatives. And I've never seen an angrier um, director in my life, and I never wanted to see one again. And he made it very clear from that point forward that those managers were responsible for honest appraisals. So we had to do something you mentioned in the very beginning, last in, first out. That was our only way. We had no choice but to cut back, and that was the only defensible criteria we could use. And as a result, we'd hired some fabulous people, Hannah, that walked right out the door. And very soon thereafter, I decided to relocate back home to D.C. And so I never really went through the aftermath. I don't know how many years it took them to really recover from that. It, it was devastating, though. Well, let Painful. me ask you this. What can managers do to create an environment that's actually conducive to employees doing their best work? Well, this is one of my favorite topics, and I'm a bit of a junkie when it comes to these surveys around motivational studies. And so I guess the best way I can answer that is to just share with what I continue to see time and time again as what motivates employees. I call this the secrets of the universe. So here they are, here for the first time. Employees want full appreciation of work done. Next, they seem to want to feel in on things. Next, they want to feel that they're growing and they're developing professionally in some way. That doesn't mean a promotion. It means just a chance to get new skills. 
And the last thing that I see time and time again is one that you can't fake. Employees want to know that their managers really care about them. Now, those four things, I think, are usually a part of a good performance appraisal. So I hope that managers are identifying all the positive contributions that employees made during the cycle, that they're looking ahead and sharing with employees the new projects that the department's going to focus on, and I hope the manager is going to help that employee get some experience and skills that will close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. And if there's been a trusting relationship established between the employee and the supervisor over a period of time, it doesn't happen at that meeting, I have to stress that, the employee is going to accept that feedback in the spirit in which it's being offered because they know the manager wants what is best for them. So I think if managers can do those four things in their part of their world, I think they're going to be pleased with the results. I think their efforts in those areas can do more to transform an organization than a strategic plan, quite honestly. Excellent point. But you and I both know, Sharon, that many supervisors or people in leadership position don't automatically have this skill set. What should companies do as part of their leadership development for people to make sure that these bases get covered properly? I think training is so key. I think managers who are hired or promoted really deserve all the success they can find, that we need to help them find success in the new roles we've put them in. And that doesn't automatically happen. So a lot of organizations have a set of courses that all their new managers are required to take. Everything from behavioral interviewing to sexual harassment to how to give feedback to how to conduct performance appraisals, those are critical. I also think HR people have to be available to make sure they're doing mentoring, as are these managers' supervisors. Um, it really needs to be uh, a village, right, that we're all in this together to make sure that our employees are getting that ongoing feedback, but we can't assume it's going to happen without training and holding those managers accountable for doing a good job of it. Well, what resources are available for smaller organizations, companies that are small to mid-sized that maybe don't have their own HR department? Yeah, I mean, I think that it depends on how that particular employee that needs to get trained learns. They can go to a, a public training, they can read, they can do any number of online classes, but it needs to be built into their work because it is part of their job and they need to be held accountable, but also given resources to make sure they'll take the time to do it and maybe some one-on-one -on -one mentoring around that because it is critical and they need to be guided in that development, I think. So why don't more companies do things like that? Or, you know, if they did, we wouldn't have so many performance yeah. review horror stories, and 90% and of the people wouldn't be like, oh, God, I'd rather have my teeth drilled. I wish I knew that. I think it somehow falls down on the priority list. I think, it, to be honest, some companies haven't been sued over this. So it isn't a, you know, a fire to be put out. It's being reactive rather than proactive. I never understood that. I mean, I get a lot of requests for training in that topic, so I think that things are on the upswing. I think companies are realizing they can't assume people know how to do this type of high-level communication, and they are bringing in either trainers or coaches to work one-on-one -on -one with their, um, their critical senior team to make sure all processes that are going to benefit the employee by benefiting the employer are being carried out. Well, you're absolutely right in calling it high-level communication. And I think if someone were to master this 
in terms of building relationship with their employees. This is also the kind of thing that can be used and is transferable, whether you're dealing with a client, a customer, or even your peer within an organization. It's the same kind of give and take that occasionally needs to happen. Absolutely. It even happens at home (laughs) (laughs) with family members. (laughs) These are important communication skills that we need and good emotional intelligence. You know, dealing with people uh, in an appropriate way. And and sometimes we're moving too fast to give, uh, give credence to that. And we really need to step back and make sure that we are developing the skills that are going to help us, but also help those around us. True, because it takes a lot more time to pick up the pieces afterwards, and it's a lot more expensive. Amen. Our time is starting to wind down here, and I'm just wondering if you had any parting thoughts as far as do's and don'ts or, or anything else you'd like to share with our listeners. Well, I think there are do's and don'ts. I think you always want to reassure your employee by building on strengths. You want to be specific when discussing performance. You want to draw them out and get them involved. You want to keep the focus of the evaluation discussion on track. You want to talk about results. And again, you always want to thank employees for being members of your team. The don'ts is don't use negative words or criticisms. Don't create a you versus me attitude or environment. Don't, on the other hand, give insincere or excessive praise. Don't dominate the conversation. Don't emphasize personality traits. Don't appear hurried. And don't demonstrate a condescending attitude. Those are a lot of do's and don'ts, but I think they're all important. Agreed. This has really been terrific advice, Sharon. I thank you so much. And I would encourage our listeners to check out your books. One of the things that we have on the episode page over at businessconfidentialradio.com are links to all of Sharon's books. So we've made it easy for you. Businessconfidentialradio.com. It's Season 2, Episode 7, How to Stop Stupid Performance Reviews from Ruining Your Business. <laughs> so check it out on Businessconfidentialradio.com. This has been such fun, Sharon. I hope we can have you come back and visit us again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and thank you for having me talk about one of my favorite topics. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. You're welcome giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. 
because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you and the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com and connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.